Welcome to Southside Community Church. Enjoy our Sunday morning message. There's a lot of debate about this passage. There's a lot of debate about what exactly he means by this. And I think I got it. And so that's what I'm going to teach. But I'm still sitting on it. So we might come back to this later. But it's an interesting one. The other thing I want to share with you is an important principle that's necessary for us to properly understand today's passage. When we're reading the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus doesn't intend us to receive it as um, wooden, literal interpretation. You'll, you'll see why that is the case as we look at today's passage. But what I mean by wooden interpretation is lacking flexibility, rigid, absolutely literal letter of the law. And what I mean is that God wants us to move from a simplistic mindset of obeying the letter of the law to obeying the spirit of the law. And so let's, let's look at, let's use our passage to really understand what I just said there. All right, so it's Matthew 5, 38 through 42. And you can follow along in your Bibles or you can just listen if you would like to. Matthew 5, 38 through 42. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. So what I want to do, and if you got the bulletin today, you'll see that we're playing this out in different scenarios. We're we're taking it in chunks. So we're going to cover the first scenario first, all right? It is, and it's in your notes, the first scenario is, do not resist the one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And the wrong letter of the law interpretation of that, what Jesus did not mean is to allow people to physically assault you without defending yourself, even inviting them to continue. So if we take that example to the extreme, we'll see that that's Not what Jesus is saying, so let's take it to an extreme. Actually, let me give you an example of Paul in Scripture first. So, Paul in Acts 22, um, he's talking about Jesus and he's getting himself in hot water like he often does. And a local Roman official hears about this. And so the local Roman official tells a Roman soldier, I think he's actually even a centurion, he tells the Roman soldier, take that guy, Paul, and flog him, whip him. And get to the bottom of what he's saying and just tell him to stop doing that and it'll be fine. So the centurion, the Roman soldier, is putting Paul in the barracks to whip him publicly. And Paul says, is this right that you're about to flog an uncondemned Roman citizen? The soldier is probably like, uh, uh uh-oh, 
didn't know he was a Roman citizen. Roman citizens are protected. That would have been big trouble for the soldier and the governing official. Could have cost him their life. Roman citizens were protected. So the soldier's like, hold on a second. Goes back to the governing official and says, uh, he's a Roman citizen. Governing official's like, goes over to Paul. Are you a Roman citizen? Yep. The governing official says, well... I paid a pretty hefty price for my citizenship. And Paul says, I was, I'm a Roman by birth. Let him go. Let him go. Get him out of here. He's, he is untouchable. Paul's like, I'm not going to take a beating for no reason. I'm going to defend myself. Like, you don't just get to do that. I'm a Roman citizen. He didn't let it happen. He defended himself. He didn't let the guy slap him on the face and... Jesus, in John 18, he's getting questioned by the high priest. And the high priest is asking him about his teachings. Like, you're always, you know, tell me a little bit more about this. And Jesus is a little bit snarky and says, I always preached in open spaces. Like, I preached at the synagogues. I preached in the temple. You want to know what I preached? Go ask them. And one of the officers of the court heard it, didn't like what Jesus said, and went and hit him for saying that. Did Jesus turn the other cheek? Did he defend himself? Did he say, go ahead, do it on the other side? He said, if what I said was wrong, then tell me why I was wrong. Tell me what I said that was wrong. But if I said what was true, then why did you slap me? Why did you hit me? So it must not be the letter of the law we're talking about in this, because even Jesus didn't just allow that man to hit him again he defended himself and i would never never tell a person to go back into an abusive relationship no way would i do that let's think about this on a larger scale what if the united states liquidated our military we no longer have a military and we say to the rest of the world you know, do whatever you guys want to us. We're just going to let you slap the other cheek then and you're allowed doing whatever you want. Is that, what, is that what Jesus meant by this? Well, Paul in Romans 13 says that God has given governors the sword in order to guard law and order. So it's not a blanket statement telling us just lay down your arms and let people do whatever they want to you. We don't. I don't even think that's true for us. We have a security team, and you'll probably never know who they are. So what does Jesus mean? What's, what's the spirit underneath the words? Well, it's there in your notes. The correct interpretation, my understanding of this, is put your trust in God on display by not retaliating when someone wrongs you. Not retaliating. There's a lot of debate around that word resist. I spent a lot of time there. And what I believe he's saying here is we are not to offensively retaliate. So retaliation is someone slaps you on the cheek. What's retaliation? Eye for an eye. I'm going to slap you on your cheek. It's like when we used to go on vacations when we were, uh, when I was younger. And we would... <laughs> me and my two sisters, I'd be in the middle. And Julie and Nicole would be on either side. And Julie would inevitably, like Nicole never bothered me. She was reading and she was doing her own thing. But Julie, 
She's, is she here? She's not here. Okay, so Julie would kick me in the shin. She was instigating. What am I supposed to do? I'm going to kick her back, and pretty soon we're like, we're having that battle in the back seat. It happens. And then mom and dad do this thing. They're like grabbing me, and we're like, yeah. Because whenever they, whatever that foot they grab or ankle or leg, they just squeeze, and you're like, ah, okay. And it's because, I mean, I was always innocent. Julie started it. Now it's, it's like eye for an eye. She kicked me first. What do you expect me to do? Like, that's, this is justice. I was actually doing the right thing. Well, it's helpful to have a little context here, too, because Jesus actually isn't even talking about physical abuse. He's talking about someone deliberately insulting you. He says, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, so imagine someone standing in front of me. Most people, most people are right-handed. The really cool ones are left-handed, but my mom's left-handed, so that's why I said that. Oh, Smitty, you are too? Okay. So there's a couple of you in here. But most people are right-handed, and imagine the person standing in front of me, if I slapped him like this, like a normal assault, it would be his left cheek, right? So he's talking about a backhanded slap, which in the ancient Near East is a, an insult, something meant to demean the other person. It was inhen- intended to hurt you psychologically and socially more than physically, it's like in some cultures, throwing a shoe at someone. Uh, there's video about this, and it's a crazy situation. There was, um, they're having a press conference in Iraq several years ago, and remember President Bush was talking, and one of the Iraqi journalists took his shoe off and threw it at President Bush, and he's like, and he threw his other one, and President Bush is dodging him. He knew he wasn't, he wasn't trying to kill the president. He was trying to insult him. <clears throat> so this is a... One of those acts, a backhanded slap, was meant to insult the person. And Jesus is instructing us to break the chain of personal vengeance when someone wrongs us. So let's say someone's slandering you. They're talking about you behind your back. Are you allowed defending yourself and bringing truth to light? Yes. Are you allowed slandering them back as a form of retribution? No. Jesus is saying, break that cycle and leave them to me. You don't need to retaliate. You don't need to exercise revenge. He's prohibiting that. Part of the responsibility of a pastor with the Bible, the most often used word for a pastor in the Bible is shepherd, is to metaphorically protect the flock from wolves. Which means that there are people who will come in here and try to sow division. They'll try to teach things that are bad doctrine. They'll say things about God that aren't true. They'll say things about how we're supposed to live that isn't true. And we're supposed to guard the flock from wolves. Okay, got it. I can, sure, we can do that. What I was warned a couple months ago when I was processing this is... You don't deal with wolves by becoming a wolf. You're a shepherd, which means you take protective measures. You don't go after them. This is hard for me because what I thought, even until a couple months ago when this much wiser pastor warned me to be careful, 
what I thought was a bully needs to be bullied. Someone bullies someone in the flock, they need to be bullied. Happy to do it. And this wiser pastor says, you're not allowed doing that. You handle them like a shepherd would handle a wolf. You don't become a wolf. Still working on it. We're allowed to defend, but we're not allowed to avenge. That's what Jesus is saying. Let's look at the next scenario. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. So the wrong letter of the law interpretation of this is if someone legally tries to take something from you and he wins that case, even if it's not fair, give him more. And I don't think literally that means we have to give them more, but it means that we let go of it. So let's, let's disprove that again, that if someone wins, they sue you for something, you're supposed to give them even more. Um, actually, I'm sorry, if someone illegally does this, that's the wrong interpretation, because I've heard people say that if someone, you know, the bully takes your lunch at school, then give them the, ne- the rest of the week's lunch. Like people have silly... Um, applications like that. That's not what he's saying. So let's disprove it again by going to the extreme. You're driving through the dangerous streets of Wayne County and someone carjacks you, right? Which is a frequent in Wayne County. Someone carjacks you and while you're getting out of your car to give them, to give them your car, you say, um, look, my house keys are on, on that key set too. So I'm going to go just get a couple things. I'm going to get our puppies, and, and you can just have the house too. That's a crazy interpretation, yet some people believe that that's along the lines of what Jesus means by this. So the first thing we have to observe is that Jesus re- is referring to a court case. So if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, um, you have to give them more. So this is happening inside of a court. He's not talking about vigilantes that are just running around mugging people left and right. That's not where the application is. Jesus is talking about someone taking you to the court. And the other example that he gives in this, where he says, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. We've talked about this before, that a Roman soldier could legally come up to any person in any town and say, hey, I have to go to that town next, next door over there, so I don't want to carry all this stuff, the shield, the sword, all this stuff. Helmet, it's really heavy, so I want you to carry it for me. So just go with me a mile in that direction. And, and Jesus is saying, go with them two miles. Perfectly within the soldier's legal rights. Was it fair? Not really. Was it legal? Yeah. If someone sues you and wins and the verdict wasn't necessarily fair but legally binding, Jesus says, relax, I'll take care of it. Have a spirit of open-handedness. Doesn't matter to you. I'm going to take care of you anyways. And them. So let me ask a question of us today. Will there ever be times in our lives where unfair verdicts and laws are put in place that impinge upon our freedoms or take what is rightfully ours. 
Could that ever happen? And as a disciple of Jesus, we're supposed to respond differently than other people. How would Jesus have us obey the spirit of the law in this case? Let's look at it. The correct, what I believe is the correct interpretation, the spirit of the law is to put your trust in God on display by not aggressively insisting on life always being fair because God will right every wrong. So if someone sues you for your tunic, a tunic is a long garment that everybody wore. It was a normal thing that everybody wore. Um, and then most people also had a cloak, and a cloak was often, it's heavier outside garment that, you know, it got cold in the desert at night there, so you would often use it as a blanket to cover up at night. In fact, collectors weren't legally allowed to take someone's cloak, tunic, but not the cloak, because most people needed that to keep warm at night. And Jesus says, if someone sues you and takes your tunic, let them have your cloak as well. What? I need that. That's not fair. Friends, Jesus is inviting us to operate on a whole nother level. You know, when you're reading about Jesus and his disciples, a lot of times, you know, Jesus is sticking up for the disciples against legalistic, grumpy people. And a lot of times, the disciples are like, in the background, like, yeah, Jesus, give it to them. Yes! Like, they're rooting for Jesus. They enjoy it that he sticks up for them. And then sometimes he says things that they're like, I didn't like that one. Um, that was a hard teaching, Jesus. Not my favorite. And I experience the same thing sometimes when I'm reading scripture because we say that sometimes scripture does violence to us because there's an old self in us that needs to be put to death over and over so that the new man in Christ can shine through. Jesus steps on every single idol. Every single one of them. Every single place in this world that we find security and strength other than him, he will address it. It's what he does. He will have no other gods before him. I mean... Nobody's safe. And if you come here for two years and you're never offended, then I'm not doing my job. I'm pretending. And it's because he's calling us to a radical trust in him. When you believe that the God of the universe is looking after you, will take care of you. I mean, when you really believe that, beyond the Sunday school answer, like, I really believe that you will, God, you can say... Have my cloak too. Let's look at this last scenario. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. The wrong interpretation is to give to whoever asks whatever they ask. If you're supposed to give to whoever begs from you, Tom, can I have a hundred bucks? Please. Please, you, you have to, bro. It says right here, you have to give to whoever begs. And when I'm done with you, Dylan, can I have 100 bucks? Doesn't matter, you're a college student. Like, I'm going to ask everybody, and I'm going to beg everybody, because it says right here, you have to give to me. That's what Jesus said. Are you a Christian or not? Give to the one who begs from you. 
If we applied this woodenly, I would have memorized this as a kid. I mean, imagine a 10-year-old equipped with this passage. Mom and Dad, I need a new bike, please. See, now you got to do it. I begged. What's the correct spirit of the law in this one? Put your trust in God on display by being open-handed and generous with the things he's given you. I want to pause here and affirm you as a church because you guys are generous. I mean, I, I say some hard things up here sometimes, some really hard things. And you know what you do? You keep giving. It's incredible how generous you are. I've been a part of a lot of congregations, a lot of churches. I've been in a lot of communities. You guys give of your time, your energy, your times that are supposed to be off, your finances, you give. And this church exists because of you. So I'm grateful that the Spirit is so at work among you in that way, and thank you for being faithful. You guys are amazing in this way. And the key to all of this, there is one large overarching truth that we always ought to have in the back of our head, and it's in your bulletins. Our big takeaway is God will pay back every right and every wrong. God will pay that back. If you live with this in mind, it will constrain your personal desire for vengeance when someone wrongs you. Because you'll remember, wait a second, God said vengeance is mine. Don't take that from me. I'll take care of all sides, every party. Vengeance is mine. 2 Timothy 4.14, Paul was talking about a man named Alexander the coppersmith. And this is a man who was trying to assassinate Paul's character, sabotage his ministry. He was gossiping and slandering him behind his back publicly to people. That stuff happens. And you know what Paul did? Did he go after him? Did he send some people from you know, the churches to rough him up? Street justice? Is that what Paul did? What did Paul, what did Paul say? 2 Timothy 4.14, Alexander the coppersmith has done me great harm. May the Lord repay him for his deeds. God, I'll let you handle that person. It's out of my pay zone. When you live as though you actually believe that God will pay back every right and every wrong, you can let stuff like that go. You can also stop aggressively insisting that life has to always be fair. There's some super resilient people in this room too, and I've seen some real challenges because of the last couple of years' events. And you don't grumble? You keep moving forward? I mean, it's super, super inspiring for me. Some people ask me as a pastor, has it been really hard and scary since March of 2020? Um, Yeah, but there's a lot of people that have have it a lot harder whose income is directly affected, and you guys have been resilient and tough, and because this is a hard teaching, I want to affirm you in that as well. I know a lot of your stories, and they're impressive, and you've been faithful, and God has been faithful to you. It's awesome. There's a great verse in 1 Corinthians 4, 5. It talks about when 
um, you are wronged. Just hang on. God will bring everything to light one day. What matters is how you respond. It's 1 Corinthians 4, 5. It says, therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes. Here's where it gets really good. Who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. Someone wrongs you, this will all be brought to light one day when Jesus returns in front of the whole world. And if my motive is clear and true and godly, that will be brought to light too. And Jesus promises to repay me. He will commend me for that. And the ones who wish to do me harm will be exposed. It's part of the deal. If you live with this in mind, God will pay back every right and every wrong. It will release you to live with open-handedness. Listen to this. You are a super generous church. This applies. One gives freely. This is Proverbs 11, 24, and 25. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. Very close to sounding like prosperity gospel, but very true, and I've seen it. God blesses generosity. He just does. You can't outgive God. You don't give for a blessing. You give because it's all God's, and then God seems to, in his own way, one gives freely, yet grows all the richer. And those of us who are really tight-fisted, another withholds what he should give and only suffers one. That counts in every area of life. So, when someone asks something for us, we don't maybe give them what they ask for, but we're, we're open-handed, we're generous. Because we trust that God will provide for us as we give to others. And you guys do that. God will pay back every right and every wrong. And that's what enables us to live in this radical way that Jesus is calling us to in this passage. Okay. That's it. I'm going to pray and we're going to have communion. So the music team can come forward here. But that's my best shot at that passage. It's a hard one. And I would invite you to read it. I would invite you to ask the Spirit of God to show me what this means. Show me how to apply this. Talk about it with other people. I mean, just really get into this text because it's a tough one. It's a tough one. Let me pray for us. Thank you for listening. Check out our website at southsideworcester.com.